and we have a guest. I'm super excited this week because we have a legend here with us today. We have a legend here, a brand god, the best guy in brand in in the world that I know of. Yeah, definitely the uh, best guy in Boston for sure, but he goes across coast. And he's someone that I've known for, for years now, very uh, pr- prominent person here in the Boston community, Mike Troano. Thank you for joining us. Wow. Holy, you're, you're overselling me, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, um, he is. This is a brand that. legend. It's incredibly, yeah. incredibly kind. You guys have an unfair advantage, though. You just This is a podcast. You guys just did Mike's podcast, so yes. you're already warmed up. I'm coming into this room cold. I don't know. I don't know what you guys have said in the yeah. last hour. I don't know where we're going. Mike, what's your podcast name? It's called How Hard Can It Be? So you subscribe. Available on iTunes. Yeah. Be sure and leave a review. I learned that from DG. Yeah. See? So uh, subscribe to Mike's podcast now. Five-star reviews only. only for Mike. How hard can it be? Yeah. He's the godfather of brand. <laughs> how, do, how, do you, how do you know him? How do you, how do you guys know each other? You go, you go back? or uh, I met Mike when I was left Compete in 2000. Seven, eight, I, you seven, know, the first seven? time I met you, actually, I, I came to you because I was looking for a guy to lead product at Matchmine. That's right. And I, uh, someone said, oh, you got to talk to David Cancel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, um, so I, I went, I, I made my my, uh, my journey over to, it was like the Prue. It was like near the oh, yeah, Prue. It was the Prudential. We had lunch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, I, I was like, oh, this guy's a fucking rock star. Um, but uh, he gave me, the, gave me the Heisman. Um <laughs> And um, no, and then you know we've been friends ever since. Yeah, so a long time now. So Mike has an amazing background, which I'll let him go into. Uh, legendary background. First, first person in your family go to college. Yeah, that's right. And a storied career. And uh, and so I've been lucky to get to know Mike over the years and learn from him, especially uh, on his knowledge on brand, which started way back in Ogilvy. We talk about Ogilvy all the time, all the time. here. But Mike actually worked at Ogilvy. And Mike, how did you get to Ogilvy? What's your story? Oh, boy. Where does it begin? Yeah, I guess it, my story yeah. relative to advertising probably starts at Cornell. So yep. I, I was the first in my family to go to college and did very well in high school and ended up going to Cornell and, and uh, was, was you know really way over my head. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, had a girlfriend, played football, didn't quite take it. It was a little harder than, uh, than the public high school I went to. And I, and I almost failed out. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I had a meeting with the dean, and um, he said, you know, Mike, you're a bright guy, but you're, you're not doing well here. You know, and I noticed you're failing the classes in your major, yep. um, which was economics. And, and, um, and uh, he, he said, well, you know, do you, do you like economics? And I said, no. <laughs> um, you're like, what's economics? And, and he, said, he said, why are you an economics major? And I, and I said, well, you know, my, my dad, my, this is costing us a fortune. Yeah. And my dad was like, well, you should do something um, – you know that you can make money on the back of, not yep. unlike yourself. <laughs> Economics was the accounting of my yeah. family. Yep. And um, so, you know, this dean said, "Well, I want you, you and your dad, to be in my office on Thursday, and mm-hmm. um, and we're going to have a little chat." So my dad Ooh. drives to uh, makes the pilgrimage to Ithaca. And from where? From uh, Rhode Island. Mm. That must and, have been a happy uh, drive. It was not. It was not <laughs> a happy drive. But but uh, we sit down with this guy, and and he says, "You know, Mr. Triano, you know, um, if." Um, you know, I think Mike can excel here if he's doing something that he wants to do, mm-hmm. and if he wants to do that uh, at Cornell, like we're happy to have him. Mm-hmm. If he wants to continue to be an economics major, he's going to need to do so <laughs> at some other university. Yeah. Um, so you know, we left that meeting, and and my my dad, you know, was like, well, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know what to do. I yeah. can't I can't really help you. You mm-hmm. know, you got to figure it out, but you'll figure it out. Yeah. 
So I, I sort of, you know, reflected on what it was I wanted to do, and I, and I thought about what was I good at, what did I enjoy, what was I sort of passionate about. I wasn't the, the most creative person that I knew, um, and so I didn't, you know, I thought I would be a lousy, a mediocre artist, yeah. and, uh, and I, but I, I wasn't the, the most strategic or the most analytical person, mm-hmm. but uh, so I wouldn't be a great engineer, but I, I, it just struck me that... That among the people who were more strategic, few were as creative. And yep. among the people who were more creative, mm-hmm. few were as strategic. So yep. something in the intersection. And I was thinking about what is that? And, yep. and for some reason, I think because of Bewitched or something, <laughs> um, I was like, well, maybe advertising. Yeah. So that's really where it begins. And I left uh, Cornell. I, I you know, was a bouncer and a bartender trying to find a job in New York and, and eventually did so and rose through the ranks um, Ended up at uh, McCann Erickson. I worked on Coke GM oh, and AT&T. Right. Mm-hmm. And then out to San Francisco of Facon and Belding to work on Taco Bell. Uh, went to uh, business school back here in Boston. And after business school, was approached by a guy named, guy named Martin Sorrell, who yep. bought one of your companies. Yeah, right WP. Um, Sir Martin. Sir, Sir, Martin. Sir Martin Sorrell, yes. Yeah. And um, Martin said, why don't you come work for me? And and you'd be kind of a troubleshooter. So mm-hmm. I, I went to different locations and solved problems for Martin. Uh, you know, related most often related to a problem with staff cost to revenue ratio, which is yep. a, basically one metric you use to run an agency. And one of those problems was inside Ogilvy, mm-hmm. uh, and it was at the same time you were in New York down in Soho, and mm-hmm. we were over on the west side. Um, and I and I showed up, and and they had this project with American Express called ExpressNet that was running on AOL, and oh, yeah? and uh, American Express was using it to build relationships with mm-hmm. customers, and and. Um, I just saw this thing and I was like, I'm blown away by it. That, that you know, brand building up to then had really been about on a pure emotional plane. Mm-hmm. But this was taking the the customer service ethos of American Express and turning it into a real thing you could use yep. to plan your travel and get information. Mm-hmm. And I just I loved it. And and you know, one day I said to Martin, you know, I really think this could be something, mm-hmm. and I and I'd like to stick around and, and run it. And he said, sure. So <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah. So I, I was the founding CEO of Ogilvy Interactive and mm-hmm. and sort of rode that wave through the dot com bubble. That was that must have been an incredible time to to do that. It was. You know, as we discussed, you know, it was a time of incredible opportunity and it was yep. a really exciting time to be uh in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I left there to uh when I realized that, you know, what I had created for Martin was worth a lot, and I owned zero percent of it, uh, <laughs> yeah. rounding up yeah. to uh, zero. Zero. And uh, so I said, "Well, I want to do my own thing," and I, I started a company called Brandscape with two good friends of mine, mm-hmm. uh, one more creative and one more technical. And um, you know, we had some success with that company, and eventually sold it to uh, Systems Integrator in Boston, and that's a whole other story. Um, and eventually, I became the president of that company. And, and, and was that uh, part of the deal to move up? Yeah, they they wanted me to come up, so I you know. We had we had done a deal to um, we had sold uh, to at the time Data General, mm-hmm. uh, which became uh, EMC, yep. to create their first online storefront where mm-hmm. customers could come on and buy consumables uh, through the website. And it was it was beyond. We had no business selling this thing because we could not deliver it. But <laughs> but I, I sold it, and yeah. and then we we needed a systems integrator behind us, and mm-hmm. so. We found these guys, these these uh, contractor, you know, up in Boston called Primex, and and the project went well, and and um, you know the CEO came to me and he said he said you know we we can't sell these like yeah. you can't even deliver it and you mm-hmm. sold it, 
uh, it feels like we should join forces. You know, mm-hmm. you guys have the strategic stuff and the creative stuff, and we have the technical stuff, and maybe we can make something happen. Mm-hmm. So, I think that that initially there was concern that that uh, it would be like a you know organ transplant rejection yep. if yeah. if uh, if you know I started to drive the company in that way. Mm-hmm. So initially they brought me up to run a division that did this. You know, strategic internet services is what we called it mm-hmm. back then. And uh, over time, that division, you know, became increasingly the place where people wanted to work. We did all the sexy stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then eventually he asked me to be president, and I did. I did. It's amazing. You touched on one topic there, which was, like, incredibly insightful because it's taken me, like, 20 years to figure out, which is uh, that the power is, like, when you're thinking about, like, especially when you were going through that young transition, trying to figure out what to do, like, the power is in the intersection, and so many people like want to be the best at, let's say, design or the best at this. And really, like the most powerful thing is when you intersect the two. And that's when you could be unique, right? Because like the chances of you being the best designer or the best marketer, pretty, pretty slim, but probably the best technical marketer. If you intersect technology and marketing, probably you have a chance yeah, we, of doing we that. Ta- we talked about that recently. It's like there's two ways to be great at something. You can either be the top 1% at the one thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Or you could take on like you could be really good at one thing and then also really good at another. Like you could, you you might be like pretty good at two things. It's not a lot of people who who can do that. And that's, right. yeah. that's kind of the intersection thing. But but I think a lot of the advice that is given is like the. I mean, as a, I'm a marketing person now, and so like this is this the piece of advice that drove me insane. I didn't know this, but you know I, I'm 29, so I'm not like later in my career. But like the early on advice people would give me was like go be a specialist. Like, go really deep on something. And now I'm looking back and being like, that is complete bullshit advice. Like, you don't have to be that. It has to be some you don't have to intersection. Be. Well, we're in a different world, right? In the world yeah. of seven plus billion people, like you being in the top 1% at any given niche, Crazy. like, kind of hard. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's not the shot, it's the cocktail. Yeah, um, I like that. I, um, <laughs> I think if you're, if you're... This is why he's a brand Trademark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the, it's, a, it's a, you know... You have to figure out what is it in the blending of those two things. It's one of the reasons I love the the Jobs biography yep. uh, because it talked about what made him special was at the intersection of yes. technology and liberal arts. And mm-hmm. I, I, that resonated so, so well with me. And, and it absolutely was what made him special. Mm-hmm. And if I look at – there are very few people I know and respect and admire that are just drill bits in yes. one isolated thing. I mm-hmm. mean those people – um, you know, this is, this, I don't, you know, no disrespect, but they're, they're, they're almost very specialized tools, you know, yeah, yeah, unitaskers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas the, the folks that I, I, I think are most effective in the mm-hmm. world are people that are, that are good at a couple of things and they find a way to, to, you know, activate, develop and monetize that ability that makes them special. Yeah. And, and, uh, I was, I was fortunate to hit on that by random chance, <laughs> Uh, to avoid getting my ass thrown out of Cornell. Yeah. When, um, when you were in, all right. So you're the first person to go to college out of your family. Outside of going to school, like, were you? Did you love reading books and learning, or was it just like you did your work? What What was your personality? You know, I I I was sort of an odd duck in a lot of ways. You know, I, in my high school, there was like smart kids and the football players, and mm-hmm. and so I was, I didn't really fit in in either group. Um, you were. And both? I was a kind of a loner. You know, I I you know I look at the friends of my lifetime are the guys that I played ball with in college, as opposed yep. to necessarily the folks in high school. Although I still have dear friends there, it just was—I mm-hmm. I never really kind of found my my tribe. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yep. Um, but I—I I, um, you know, for me, the things that that both my parents worked. My mother was a hairdresser. My dad was a sales guy, and mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, I, I kept myself occupied looking at the world through, you know, on Channel 38. You know, I'm like still a huge Star Trek fan. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, showing that to my, but that was my sort of ethical, like when I think about a leader, like my views of leadership and management are still to this day shaped by my perception of Kirk and, and the way he thought about that kind of selfless form of leadership. And, 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 you know, later on it was, you know, movies and Star Wars and all those things affected me. Um, I started to read when I was a kid. Um, I think the first thing I, I read and really like read for pleasure mm. was The Hobbit, and mm. and it really kind of blew me away. And and I started to become a little bit more uh, of a voracious reader. Uh, it was later, I think, in life that I I started to read you know history. And the thing that I read most often, the thing that I I really enjoy reading is like. Um, you know, stuff that's about a given time, yeah. uh, like, you know, all the David McCullough stuff, the Great oh, yeah. Bridge. Yep. And, I, and, I saw uh, you write – I don't know if you tweeted this or you wrote it, but, like, you said uh, – you said how – oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you. so I don't know if you read this, if you wrote it, tweeted it, whatever. They're the same thing. But you said how um, – too many people get caught up in like only learning business lessons oh, yeah. from business books, right? Yeah. But you said like you've been able to find a ton of lessons if you just think outside. And, and DC, you talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. like idea sex, right? This whole mm-hmm. like, you know, pulling inspiration from other sources. So Yeah, no, I, I can't, you know, I, I find those business books, like some of them are interesting. Like, and I, know <laughs> go, you're go, a huge, I know you're a huge, you're, you're a voracious consumer of that stuff. Yeah. And there's always one or two good ideas but there. But that's about it, yeah. Uh, but, but that's really all you're going to take yeah. away. There are the odd exceptions, you know, good to grade and like things yeah. that, 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 that affect your, you know, that, that are really important. Um, but for me, like to hear the story of someone's life, like, you know, I, you can learn so much from, from the Wright Brothers biography mm-hmm. about life and business mm-hmm. and innovation. Yep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, powering through the Grant biography that just came out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a book called His Excellency George Washington. It's one of the greatest books on leadership, I think, that's ever been written. I just, for me, you know, I'm, I am a natural storyteller. It's, it's kind of what I do. And so I, I tend to absorb information more fully and internalize it through stories. Yep. And, and, and there's no more interesting story than the story of another human being's life, particularly yep. an extraordinary human being. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like it's a golden age of history in that respect. And yep. there's there's so much, you know, to be taken from from that. And, and it's not only books. Like one of the things that I'm I'm fond of saying is that everything you need to know about social media and influence you can learn in the first five minutes of The Godfather. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. You know where where yeah. he's at his daughter's wedding yeah. and the guy comes in and he says the you know Godfather. I need yes. you. You know. <laughs> and and then he Brando eventually agrees to do it and and. Um, and the guy says, what can I do for you? And, and mm-hmm. Brando says, for now, nothing. But yeah. in the future, I will call upon you to do a service. Yes. So that idea of helping people totally. and, and you know, quid pro quo and whatever, it's so fundamental to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to success in every sphere of life. And, and I, you know, that's a very Italian sensibility, so obviously oh, it resonates man. with me. But, but, but I think there's so much to be gleaned from, from art and from that kind of writing absolutely i brought back the godfather too i saw it on a plane recently Ugh. and I, I sent the clip around here about, uh, when uh, fredo's out in the boathouse and said watch this this is loyalty watch <laughs> oh, right, this is the price of loyalty amazing that's right? right that's right so much from that don't don't even get me started <laughs> we can do a whole separate podcast let's on, do a podcast on uh, the godfather, godfather. godfather. Yeah. life lessons just from the one godfather. and two though after that i'm okay yeah, yeah. i was at mike's office I'm gonna jump segue we're gonna jump Go all ahead. around here but I was at Mike's office last week. So Mike's CMO of a company called Actifio, which he can tell you more about. But it's an amazing 
you know, rocket ship in Boston. And, uh, and Mike showed me some things that he had just done. Uh, incredible brand guy, but he was doing some stuff around a sales kickoff, around sales enablement. And I'm telling you, I saw stuff that I had never seen before taken to, you know, a level that I didn't think possible. And so it's one thing I would just want to ask Mike about how did he, how did he get from Ogilvy to here? How does he, how does he do something like that? How do you be remarkable in something like that? Why do you think it's important? Because I think so many people skip over all the work and thought and process that you had put around frameworks, around kickoffs, around training, around all of that kind of go-to-market energy, which no one – this is the stuff no one ever talks about or writes about. Well, thanks. I mean, I think the most important thing marketing does, at the end of the day, the business case for marketing mm-hmm. is to enhance the productivity of the field sales organization. And and I'll, I'll start with the qualifier that, that our business has a unique set of attributes. We are a high average order value business, mm-hmm. you know, low frequency. We're not a high velocity yep. sort of, you know, uh, you know, try before you buy, like, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, so we have a very particular set of requirements. Um, what Actifio does, just very quickly for those who don't know, uh, so we are uh, an enterprise data as a service company. So today, people are used to consuming software as a service and increasingly consume infrastructure as a service. Mm-hmm. Well, what lives on the infrastructure and what services the software is the data. Yep. And so we enable companies to access their data the same way they do their software and their infrastructure, which is uh, as a service available instantly anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. So- Can I ask you how you explain that, how they explained that before you got there? <laughs> Uh, it took it took a while. Um, <laughs> it took a while. So, yeah. I mean, but but I think this is to answer your question. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm a good friend of mine from business school is a guy named Jamie Goldstein at Northbridge, mm-hmm. and great guy. Jamie approached me um, after a meeting, and I was like, you know, how you doing? And he's like, he's like, good. You know, I I got this company, and these guys are brilliant, and I fucking love what they do, but nobody understands. It. <laughs> Could you go? That sounds like Jamie. That sounds like Could Jamie. you go? Could you go talk to to this yeah. guy Ash Ashutosh and just sort of see if you can figure this thing out? So I go meet with Ash and mm-hmm. and um, and so brilliant guy. So I, oh, he's amazing, yeah. amazing human being in, yeah. in so many ways. But I I said, you know, all right, you know, what what is this thing? Um, and he like talked and he went to the whiteboard. He talked for about you know I don't know fifteen minutes and um and then he he stopped and he said so and I said. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> After 15 minutes, um, I just hit my head on the wall. No idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so he's like, okay, well, you know, how about this? And he tried it a different way. And, and, and then, you know, by the third way, he sort of started to explain this idea of copy data. Okay. Um, and, um, and the idea is basically like, you know, these companies were creating multiple copies of these databases. Um, and, um, and I'll give it to you the way that, that I sort of internalized it. So I said, you know, when you take a picture on your phone, mm-hmm. um, that picture is, a, let's say it's a one meg photo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your uh, Apple, you know, products will uh, automatically send that to your laptop and your iPad. So now sure. your one meg photo is occupying three meg of storage. Mm-hmm. And if you send it to Instagram and bounce it to Facebook and Twitter, now your one meg photo is six megs of storage across multiple mm-hmm. infrastructures across, you know, hardware in the cloud. Yeah. Um, so 
the same thing happens in a business, but it's not a one meg photo. It's a 22 terabyte Oracle database. Yep. And around the world, that's a $50 billion problem, and mm-hmm. only Actifio solves it. Mm-hmm. So that was version 1.0 of you a way the, to tell you the, the story. master. Um, that, and so, so you know, we, we, we iterated, we, we tried a bunch of different ways with the customer, and that way was the door in. And, and we basically beat that drum for five years. Mm-hmm. Now, over the course of that five year period, the world changed. Yep. Um, you know, the, the marginal cost of a terabyte of storage is approaching zero, gigabyte anyway. Um, you know, on places like Azure, like there's no marginal cost. Yep. To, uh, so the, so I think the, the data reduction of data footprint story that was central to the narrative we built in 2010 is less and less relevant to the customer. What customers are using it for today is really liberating data from the data center. Mm. Uh, so that, that you know, the idea of a, of, a, of a data layer, of a platform that is agnostic with respect to where the data originates, mm-hmm. that can move it from the data center to AWS, to Azure, to Oracle Cloud, to Google Cloud, and give you the freedom to access that data instantly um, Basically delivering on the promise of the cloud, right? Which is like, I shouldn't care where it is. Yeah, I don't that's care exactly where it is. right. And and that's true of everything except the data yeah, today. Yeah. If you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Data has gravity. In the, mm-hmm. you know, um, hard to uh, move. That's right. <laughs> it's hard to move. It's hard to – it tends to stick around wherever it's created. It tends to draw in a bunch of shit around it. So we – we liberate data from from that gravity in the process. We we free our customers from the tyranny of a 20th century data management model. Woo! Uh, look at that. So you, you saw all right. So you saw this whole sales kickoff happen yeah. firsthand, and what? Not the sales kickoff. Okay. I saw the aftermath. Yeah, the sales playbook. The sales playbook. Yeah. So you know the the I think the as I said the business case for marketing, particularly inside an enterprise technology company, is to enhance the productivity of the field sales organization mm-hmm. and. There's no more direct way to do that than to empower these guys with the tools that they need to solve customer yep. problems. And so, you know, the way we do that is, 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 you know, I view that our role there is to really help the sales guy understand our technology mm-hmm. in the context of what the customer does. Yep. You know, we're both big fans of Simon Sinek. And, mm-hmm. and this idea of lead with why yep. is, I think, always been fundamental to the way I approach marketing and communication. But, but with a salesperson, what that's about is – is giving them the tools to understand, okay, you know, what are the challenges that our customer is dealing mm-hmm. with? And give them a set of discovery questions that enable them to surface those challenges. Mm-hmm. Help to walk the customer through the negative consequences of those technical challenges. Mm-hmm. And paint a picture for them of positive business outcomes that would come from a better way. Mm-hmm. Then you sort of define, okay, what are the technical requirements required to realize that rosy picture? And then, and then you can set, you know, help the customer understand how only Actifio meets those technical requirements, where we've done so in the past, how we do so better than everybody else, and and you know, you know where we can do so for them. So, mm-hmm. so that journey, you know, which we internally call the mantra, you know, that helping each and every sales guy have the same set of information to be able to walk a customer through that journey. Mm-hmm. A very, you know, it's not about like just storytelling the Actifio way. It's yep. about Helping them, you know, the real world is messy, mm-hmm. right? And and your every customer, you know, there's common, there's patterns in the dots, but you know, every customer is a snowflake when you do what we do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, so you have to like giving them the tools to engage and be informed and mm-hmm. feel confident. That's really the core of our enablement program, and mm-hmm. and that comes to. Uh, you know, it's made manifest each year in the form of the sales playbook, which is the document that you got to look. Yeah, at. that I, I took a look at, and what it was, I I was. Super impressed by it, as I mentioned. But one thing that kind of stood out to me was that this this kind of framework that you have around kind of discovery and 
storytelling and kind of putting the customer and the, in your case, the sales rep, you know, in each other's shoes to understand like the pains that they would have, the cost that it would take from a technology standpoint. Like that whole thing was amazing to me because I think even though Actifio delivers that through a field sales organization, that's still framework. That framework applies to anything and any way that you sell, whether it's through humans, through inside or field sales, or if you were totally touchless, you would have to go through the same journey of understanding in the customer terms, you know, how does your solution fit? What would it replace? What are the costs to do it? And what is the rosy picture, as you said, what is the benefit that you get out of if you went through this journey with us? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's uh, great companies are built on the back of great products and Mm -hmm. great products, as we've discussed many times, are built from a customer back. They're built from an understanding of a business consequence Mm -hmm. that can be rectified. And you have to really kind of marinate in that external reality and bring that, you know, infuse your whole sales process with that understanding. And if you talk to customers, they don't like salespeople because for two reasons. You know, salespeople don't understand their problem, yep. and they don't fucking listen. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, all right, so um, I, I, I pulled this up because I yeah. – this is a Dale Carnegie, which was probably 1920, 1930, yeah. saying the same thing. It's almost 100 years later. We're still having the same conversation about the role of sales. He said, uh, you know, thousands of salespeople are pounding the pavements today, tired and discouraged and underpaid. Why? Because they're always thinking about what they want. They don't realize that neither you or I want to buy anything. If we did, we'd go out and buy it. Both of us are interested in solving our own problems. And this is like a repetitive story in history. You read any book about advertising, copywriting, mm-hmm. marketing, branding, right? It's the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But very few people actually can take that from a book or, or just even internalize it and say, how does this play out in the sales process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's because it's because there's a problem in the cocktail, right? <laughs> that if you think about what are the two skills required to effectively sell? Yep. One is the ability to subordinate the self, Mm -hmm. to have empathy for the problem of another human being and really look at the world through their lens. The other is to be sufficiently selfish to get out there and, and, And you know, like, and and ignore all the, you know, someone doesn't want to talk to you, whatever. And so I think that that you see this play out every day in the best salespeople Mm -hmm. is the constant tension between those two qualities, empathy Mm -hmm. and, you know, persistence. Mm Um, and so I, I think it's I think it's very hard. I have tremendous respect for people that can go out there and just day in and day out balance those two conflicting forces in a way that gets results. Yeah, years ago I saw this video of yours uh, from Michael Scott where you were doing basically a brand kind of present brand branding for startups. Yeah, right? how like to tell your story. To, how yeah. to tell your story. Yeah. How do you teach some of the stuff that we're talking about to startups? Well, you're... you know, I, I think it starts with an understanding of how important that is. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a, a Techstars mentor, and, and um, I just see so many entrepreneurs come in and, and, and do, and you know, I, I love the guy, but do what Ash did, which yeah. is talk for 15 minutes and you have no fucking clue what, <laughs> yeah. um, what, what the hell it is or mm-hmm. why it matters, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, I, I just try to help them strip away um, you know, whatever whatever their view of it is, because in some ways the entrepreneur is so close to it, they're the least qualified mm-hmm. to objectively express the value proposition of what they do. And I, I've come up with this sort of framework over, over the years that will help them do that. It's yep. six questions and you kind of fill in the blanks and you lay it out. And and now I've given that, you know, Mike or David asked me to, to give that talk at for the Matrix portfolio companies and right. I did it and he recorded it, and then I did the same thing, actually, ironically, with Michael oh, uh, over at iLab. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it's become a thing now, and and uh, it's something that uh, 
you know, that I, I, I think is a useful tool. But Mike, why is it six questions? Why isn't it five questions? Or why isn't it seven questions? Have you A-B tested how that framework <laughs> yeah. works? Like, yeah, uh, why yeah. is it six? Yeah. Man? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that it comes back to yeah. where we started. It comes mm-hmm. back to Ogilvy. You know, Ogilvy has a document called a brand print. And McCann has an equivalent, you know, te- intellectual technology. Mm-hmm. But it's about positioning. And, and really what I did was I took the classical – positioning model, which is a very customer-centric and emotional value prop driven Mm -hmm. kind of way of looking at the world. And I just translated, I made some changes at the margins to to use it as an instrument to really surface what is the customer value. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that that, um, you know, that 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 connection seemed obvious to me and no one else noticed it before, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think um, everyone, um, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, like everyone's like rediscovering this. And uh, like when Dave, one of the things when Dave joined the team early was uh, I actually was suggesting all of these books, Ogilvy, you know, some of the books from Ogilvy the Ogilvy on advertising? Yeah, yeah Ogilvy on advertising. Yeah, Ogilvy, Ogilvy on advertising, uh, Claude yeah. Hopkins, Scientific Advertising, Gary Halbert, Boron Letters. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a bunch Robert of these Collier, books yeah. that were basically Ogilvy was the pinnacle, but then there were other books that were really focused around the early days of copywriting, yeah. copywriting back in the print ad world, and yeah. uh, all of these things about resonating with a customer and what is the value and like and, and causing an action and like what is the emotional trigger that you. It all goes back to that, and it's so funny because. Uh, Having built so many things in, in marketing software, I've, I speak to a lot of marketers and I, and I ask questions around those very basic, I think, building blocks. And many marketers today do not know anything about any of that. Yeah, no, it's it's a shame. Um, I actually met David. Um, oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, so I, I, um, that's legend. A, that's a, an interesting story. A legendary guy, and I was overwhelmed. And it was late in life, and he was very crabby, but yeah. uh, it was still uh, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. But, uh, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of horrified by the way that marketing has been quantized and quantified. Yeah. and. You know, um, I'm a fan of, of, you know, your guys' podcast, uh, too, as you know. And one of the reasons that got me hooked on it in the beginning, I think, was you guys were really the first to start to explore that idea of moving away from these submetrics of MQL oh, and crazy um, and start to think about the human dimension of it. And and um, and I think that, that there's a whole generation of marketers that think marketing happens in Excel. Yep. And it doesn't. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it happens in PowerPoint. It, yeah. And, and I wish the world were not so. Uh, mm-hmm. Increasingly, maybe it happens in podcasts, but it's some form of communication yes. that reaches out to the person. Yeah. You know, the quote at the top of my Twitter page, which I think is the greatest quote about both leadership and marketing that I've ever seen, mm-hmm. um, is, is this quote from um, a... Um, um, you're gonna to have to edit this out, but yeah. I forgot. I've, I, I can't believe I'm spacing on the name, but but it, it basically is if you if you want to build a ship, yeah. don't send people out to to find lumber and don't don't tell them to get nails and don't bring yep. them around, but teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. See, yep. yep. Um, and and I I that idea is lost on people. Mm-hmm. Um, the the good news is, yeah. um, uh, Exupri, that's his name. Mm. Um, but but if you the good news is that if if you understand that mm-hmm. and you can bring that to bear, yep. it's like a fucking superpower. Superpower today, um, because if you do, if you're just coming out of the 
digital marketing spreadsheet kind of way of you know how to like basically back in the day that was just direct marketing, right? So if you're direct marketing school and you're all about facts and figures and numbers and quantification, all that stuff, and then you can layer on and you can expand your mind to think about marketing at its root, about storytelling, about connection, about human connection. If you can bring those two together, man, you'd be like yeah. Iron Man. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think, you know, this is something else I say all the time to my people um, if if you want to change what someone does, mm-hmm. you got to change what they feel and not just what they think. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of marketing is happening at the think level, yep. and it sort of skims the surface of what you need to do to change someone's behavior. Yep. It's hard to change your behavior. Super hard. I, I say this to you know we're a couple of recovering fat guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and so it's like it, changing Super your beha- changing your behavior is like that. it's so hard. And you have there like rationally, it's rational thought is necessary but not sufficient. Yep. There's got to be an emotional driver, and that's true of whether you're trying to get someone to stop eating donuts, or to go buy something that they've never bought. Totally, all the big like uh, changes that you need to make are all emotionally driven, right? And it's not logical, right? Because it's logic is easy. You want to be not fat, stop eating. There you go. Right. You don't have to I'm buy a book about that. That's, uh, that's yeah. really easy. Uh, but like it's overcoming the biases and tendencies and habits and all the things that we have and change, change is hard because it's, it's uncomfortable. But, you know, it is too, truly amazing to me that people and we want everyone who listens to podcasts go back to the to the beginning what mike is talking about and really learn about how to connect at the end of the day we're connecting human to human right we're not selling bot to bot right and so like how do we cause someone to make a change how do we cause them to reconsider what they're doing and maybe consider an alternative it comes back to storytelling and emotional connection absolutely yeah all right um I know, you have, do you have more stuff, or I have some good. I have some wrap up thoughts. Yeah, go if for you, it. All right. Well, I was going to say, uh, while we're talking about this topic of books and, and reading, do you have like maybe one or two? What are one or two books that you have? I'm stealing this Tim Ferriss question for our podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, most gifted books that you've like given to people or, or like to your team, people on your team, like you you bring on a new marketing person. Do you have like a, you know one or two books you'd recommend to them, or salespeople listening? Um. I guess um, one of them is Ogilvy on advertising because I think it's not only the greatest book about marketing ever written, but mm. it is a great book about marketing because it's really a book about sales. Yep. You know, the Ogilvy, I was the, on the board of Ogilvy Direct, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Ogilvy Direct's motto is we sell or else. I love that. Uh, and I love I'm that. I'm going to steal that um, motto. That's great. what that's it's true about. Model now. It's we true. It's true. <laughs> we sell or else. Yeah. Uh, and so it really makes it real. Yeah. Um, I have that book on my desk for um, that reason. It's so, so it, you know, I I love that aspect. And, and I was such a disciple of David's as I was learning what it meant to be try to be Darren Stevens, you know. Yeah. Um, so so for me, that book is sort of um, is is absolutely, you know, central, fundamental to the way people um, – Think about it. Um, I'll tell you the 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 other thing that I send to people quite frequently is Simon Sinek's talk on yep. on lead with why. Mm-hmm. Um, so good because particularly in in tech marketing, yeah. um, so many people want to lead with what or even how, which is yeah. like the you know before they've really covered off on why. Yeah. I think it's it's like a disease, mm-hmm. and it's why so much quote unquote B two B marketing is just shit. shit yeah. Um, so so uh, I think that, that that TED talk is something that um, that I share quite uh, quite often. Um, and uh, I'll tell you the book that I'm I I, I finished that I, I also find. 
um, has had a profound impact in connecting the dots on a couple of ideas is a book called Sapiens. Yep. Um, and it's about the it's it, the subtitle is a brief history of mankind. Um, and and what I loved about the book is is it really connected the dots on a few things. And one of it was the centrality of stories to what makes us human. Mm-hmm. So so it turns out that that there are many species mm-hmm. who can communicate. Yep. It is not our ability to communicate that makes us unique. Special, yeah. um, because you know, groups of monkeys can say, "Look, a lion." Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Groups of, like lots of species can say, "Look, a lion." Yeah. Um, but only only humans can say the lion is the spirit animal of our tribe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's an idea. It's a story. It's conceptual, yeah. and we are unique in our ability to do that. And and what that enables is for us to take collective action mm-hmm. on a scale that no other species can undertake. Yep. Like if, you know, a group of monkeys, like you can coordinate up to about 15, 16, maybe 22 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. monkeys can get together and do something together. Mm-hmm. But but if you think about this, you know, you know, a country is an idea. Yeah. Money is mm-hmm. an idea. Yeah. Okay. Religion, mm-hmm. an idea. And so those things... They're they're conceptual, but they enable us to coordinate our actions on yeah. a scale in the millions, yep. and that's why we have come to dominate the planet. And mm-hmm. so, so that book and that idea and expressed mm-hmm. in that yep. way, and it goes all the way up to the present for me is just is just a it's a it's a must read I think for people who are trying to understand what makes people tick. Wow. When when do you all right? So tactically, yeah, people that I people want totally to agree. I mean, when you were describing that, sir, yeah, yeah, but ahead. all I was thinking about like that thing is an idea. Right. Basically, that's the difference between us and all these other species that communicate. Like we can basically communicate an idea, right. something that has you can't touch, you can't. Right. You've never seen before. You cannot validate. You cannot make real. Uh, and that idea is, you know, shaping and communicating that idea is what we do in marketing. Yeah, it's it's. You know, and another word for that idea is a story. Yes. It's a story. There's mm-hmm. a story at the core of every great company, every great product, every great entrepreneur. And understanding those stories and, and the ability to tell them effectively, I think, is is um, is incredibly important and I think broadly undervalued. You hit on – oh, sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say this isn't – like we keep saying the word marketing, but I think the miss – the thing that people get wrong is like – oh, uh, that's a marketing person's job. Like if you can think about the things that like Mike is saying, right? Like that's going to make you build, you're going to be a better product manager. You're going to build better products. You're going to be a be- better salesperson. Like mm-hmm. these aren't tactical marketing things. These are all about if you want to run a business and grow a business, you have to understand this core fundamental thing. Yeah, it's about being effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, there, are, there are very few things in business that make you effective that don't affect influencing the behavior of other people mm-hmm. if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And and I think a good marketing person, certainly every great marketing person I've ever known, has been a student of human response. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that's true of great product people too. Mm-hmm. That that you talk about that you know so frequently is this idea that that a product is a response to a customer need, and you yes. have to be connected to that. And and I think there are people you know that that that's. That's the valid. That's the cookie. That's what yeah. we want. We mm-hmm. don't want to just build a product and feel great about it because it's beautiful and it's mm-hmm. hand burnished. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want the response. Yeah, yeah. That the, that they love it. That uh-huh. they move. That they change. That it affects them. And and I think that's you know that's the the overhang when it comes to leadership 
product marketing, as you say, Dave, like all those different spheres of business, that's what unites them is at the end of the day, their impact is measured in the response of other people. And that's why we talk about that's the central thing that we talk about on Seeking Wisdom all the time is around communication, whether it's one to many, right, in the terms of marketing that we're talking about or selling that we talk about today. Or it's one-on-one, someone on your team, or one-on-one from an investor standpoint, or small groups of teams. Like, it all comes down to this ability of communicating. I think, like, I've gone as from, a, from an engineer to a product person from the, and to whatever I am now. I've gone through this progression of, like, wow, well, more. Now? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Something. Uh, I have my finger on it, yeah. It's very meta. Meta, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Gone to a place now where it's, like, it's all about the people. It's all about the communication. That's all that it is. And like the bits and the burnishing and the hand polishing and the design. And yeah. I love it all. And I geek out on it all. And, you know, I, I get it. But that's not the point. It's a means to an end. Yeah. All that stuff is a means to an end. That's it. One thing. So I just was thinking about your or basically it's like you've been the thing you both have been talking about over is something like the Gary V thing we talk about all the time, like ask, uh, you know, give, 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 ask. Right. One of the most effective things that we've done from a marketing perspective is we have all these people on our email list and we don't ever sell to them. We just give them stuff. And it was like, I was like, well, you know what? One thing that we haven't done, we've never asked these people to like go sign up for Drift, right? And we did that. And the email was literally like, hey, I never ask you this, but, uh, you know, since you've been here for a while, I thought you might want to check this thing out. And the response to that was like the single best thing that we've done. Yeah. And so many people replied to that email and were like, you know what? You've earned the right. I'm gladly signing up. And and that to me was just like an eye-opening thing. It's like we built up all this equity and I finally, you know, cashed in on it for a minute. And mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think that, that the um – you know, the idea of social currency, the subtle pressure we have to reciprocate mm-hmm. a kindness or an exchange of value is the engine of all this media. Um, and and I, I think if you can put that at the, so, at the center of what you're doing, um, you know, people, you know, it's like, it's like when you go to someone's house, you want to bring something. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing you can say, <laughs> if I'm coming to your house and yeah. I say, what can I bring? You say, nothing. That fucking pisses me off. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Um, tell, tell them, I'll bring a lasagna. What yeah. can I bring? You know? Yeah. Um, and it's like, you people want that. Like, yeah. um, uh, so, so you're doing this nice thing for me. Let mm-hmm. me do something for you. Yeah. You know, it, Feels, it, it makes you feel comfortable. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I think in, in in some ways it's that same sensibility. It's that you know I get a lot of value out of this thing. I listen, whatever you know. Um, and and it is amazing when you when you ask when you ask for something. Mm-hmm. You know, I had an experience like that. That you know, you forget you drift from these ideas. Um, but I I you know I sent out to like you know Twitter followers. Uh, if you've ever, if you've gotten some anything of value from me in the last, you know, year, um, you know, please go to my daughter's. She had done this uh, this this cancer walk mm-hmm. uh, in our in our town, and um, and I sent this out with very little expectation mm-hmm. that that anything would happen. And and it, she was like number one in the whole. Thing. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but but I think it was it was just that, and and I, and they felt good about it, and I felt good yeah. about it, and I'm like, that's how it's supposed to be. That's mm-hmm. what it is. You know. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Familia. Back to the Godfather. That's, That's it. Familia. That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to thank Mike for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, guys. I, I really, I really, I mean this. I am a fan of the podcast. I listen to all of them. I appreciate what you're doing and uh, keep on trucking here. Can you cool. believe that the king of branding listens to Seeking Wisdom? Oh, I think we're be coming up. Yeah. So throw him a five-star review while you're yeah. at it, you know? 
How hard can it be? <laughs> How hard can it be? Go get it. Go get it. It's available on iTunes, everywhere that you want. I heard, I heard you were going to be on it. You're going to be oh, on I'm going to be on it. I'm a guest on his podcast. Okay. What did you guys uh, talk about? He's on it. We yeah. talked a little about it. We talked about well, a lot of stuff. People have to subscribe stuff I don't listen. know if he wants getting out. You better listen to yeah. it. Yeah. I just saw it. 58 minutes of, of gold. All right. <laughs> yeah. So subscribe. Five-star review for oh, Mike's uh, podcast, How Hard Can It Be? Fantastic podcast. I've listened to every episode. Uh, it's amazing. There's legends under our noses right here in uh, New England that I did not know about or had not connected with personally. And Mike is an amazing as you storyteller, no surprise, and brings you through their journey. So an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank Peace. you. Thanks.